welcome to church, welcome to Sunrise. My name is Dan, I'm the pastor here. It's so good to see you today. Your smiling faces, Jenny. Prepare to worship on this good day, on this second day of Advent. I want to welcome you here. I'm going to welcome Kelly up. She's going to bring a few words to speak as we prepare our hearts to worship this morning. So Kelly,
God, thank you that you are our deliverer. Jesus, baby that came down to save us from our sins, deliver us from our sins. You are Emmanuel, God with us. God, this morning we worship you. We thank you for your love that we celebrate. We thank you. We're so thankful for the hope that we have in Jesus. Thank you for being here. 
<laughs> That's like an old like, like NWA tag team thing, right? Tag team. <laughs> All right. So hey, uh, Believer's Baptism and Profession of Faith is coming up, uh, and we're having a class. Initially, we having a class for that on January the 21st of next year, of 2024. Can you believe 2024 is about here? Yeah, wow. So um, here's something we, we need for all of you guys to know. This class just simply isn't an invitation uh, to an event that's going to take place on April the 21st. April the 21st, a couple weeks after Easter, is when we're going to do Believer's Baptism and Profession of Faith. But it's much more than that. That's the culmination of a journey that we're inviting people to take. Um, you know, way back in the recesses of time, we used to call this uh, catechism. Um, and uh, if you're an old-timer and you know what that's like, give me a boot Okay, excellent. If you're a young-timer and you don't, um, is this just involves walking through what it means to be a follower of Jesus and what it means to put your faith and trust in Him and profess Him publicly uh, to your church family and to the world. Um, and this is going to involve some questions and conversations um, and then some public responses. Uh, and we'll get to more of that. So if you were... If you grew up in sort of a reformed uh, heritage or tradition and you were baptized as an infant, uh, but you have never publicly professed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, my friends, this is for you. Um, this is something that we would invite you to, to come and to investigate uh, and to see if uh, you're ready or willing to take this journey. If you have never been baptized and would like to follow the Lord in the sacred sacrament, then it's also for you. Um, here at Sunrise, this is going to look a little bit different than it does in most places. Uh, because we are one of those crazy uh, places that sort of holds uh, baptism as sacred, but we hold the mode and the timing as something that, well, is somewhat with open hands. So the 21st of January is going to be a class that's going to introduce baptism and profession of faith. Uh, if you are uh, under 18, your parents uh, are more than welcome. They're invited to come to the class with you just to know what we're going to be talking to you about. Um, we are, my friends, inviting people specifically to take ownership of their spiritual journey in this baptism and profession of faith um, journey. Um, and because of that, um, we, uh, we have said that if uh, we're targeting the ages of 12 and up, and here's the reason for that. The reason for that is because we want this to be a considered and deliberate decision. But if you are a child, or you have a child that is under 12, and after talking with your parents, you think, hey, they're ready to maybe have this conversation. Email me, email Julie, email Corey, and let, let us have this conversation with you. Um, this isn't just something we're not, that we're just doing um, to, to get it done. This is a, a, a very uh, important opportunity, and we want to engage uh, with entire families as we do this. Um, the biggest, probably the most uh, essential part of the process is going to involve one-on-one -on -one mentoring. Uh, so this means that we need mentors. Well, what does that look like? Well, if you are a mature believer who has been baptized yourself, maybe someone who's gone through a journey like this, uh, it will involve several meetings with a baptismal candidate. It will involve mentoring. It will involve going through questions. It will involve helping to write a testimony. Um, don't let any of that uh, scare you away, uh, we need you. <clears throat> because this is about body life. This is about community. So, uh, if you are interested in being a mentor, please, again, email Julie, uh, Corey, myself. 
and we'll uh, let you know uh, what this, what all of this would entail. So you guys, yeah, I'm really excited. I'm really excited about this. I'm excited about this time for Sunrise. I'm excited uh, for those of you uh, that are going to be making this step. Um, and we're just we're really thankful uh, for the part that the players. All right, before we take a few minutes to greet one another, uh, we uh, would like to remind you that you can, uh, there are opportunities to give. You can give in several ways. Uh, online, via the website, the app, or the handy-dandy QR code. Is that going to look at that? Joel, you are the man the myth for lesson. There um, are also opportunities in the beautiful offering boxes. Um, Pam is standing, look at that, yes. Pam is standing by the one, trying to uh, give offering boxes in the back, or you can uh, mail a check here to the church. Friends, uh, the church is not a business, but it does take financial resources to operate. And so with the coming end of the fiscal year, we would just invite you uh, to consider how you might um, continue to financially partner uh, with us here at Sunrise Ministries. Okay. Baptism, profession of faith, giving commercial over. <laughs> All right. With that said, stand, greet each other. And when the song is done, we'll be ready to go. If you could make your way back to your seats. So thank you very much for indulging my culture. I really appreciate that. On this second Sunday of Advent, we are going to be looking um, at the, uh, the, the idea of love for neighbor. There, there are a few different ways that, that Advent sort of progresses, and, and if you come from different heritages, uh, m- many times this week is the Peace Week, but, but at least um, how I was introduced to, to Advent is this is, the, uh, this is the Love Week, so that's what we're going to be to be talking about loving your neighbor, my friends, is how you show love for God. And eventually, we're going to land in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. Um, But this morning, as we begin, I want to tell you a story, and I want to tell you a story about someone that I've never met. His name is Kurt DeHaan, and 20 years ago, at the age of 50, Kurt went to be with the Lord after a short battle with a health issue. Kurt was the managing editor of the Our Daily Bread Ministries, little Our Daily Bread devotional. Um, and even though he passed away seven years before I started working at ODB, uh, his memory cast a long shadow. His absence was felt for years and years after his passing. And, and aside from being very, very good at his job, uh, Kurt was the grandson of... Uh, Martin or Doc DeHaan, who was the founder of the Radio Bible Class Empire, as well as the Calvary Non-Denominational Church over on the Beltline. Um, he was the son of Richard, the expander of the empire, who took the Radio Bible Class from being on the radio to being on television. Probably, if you're like my age and maybe a little bit up, you, you remember the Discovery Singers down in Florida or whatever in their, right, their big puffy shirts and things like that. And he was the younger brother of Mart, who was the globalizer of the ODB empire. Um, And and, and as happens when you are the, right, when you're sort of the, in in the line of the heir, right, second in line to the throne, so to speak, um, basically you can do whatever you want and not get in trouble for it. And uh, Kurt was notorious as the 
second in line to the throne, to doing things that would get any normal human being fired. Becky, can I get a witness? She's like, yes, yes, indeed. So while I was at Our Daily Bread, something would happen on, oh, every few Fridays, um, is that someone in the publishing house would play this song in the publishing area, and they would kind of blare it. And I had no idea what was going on at 4 o'clock on a Friday and why somebody was playing such wonderful and stellar music, um, especially when the people would mock the music and not understand its beauty and the fact that bluegrass is the only bit of truly American music that there is. Can I get a witness, Ben Jordan? That wasn't in my notes, but that's absolutely true. No, it was, it, was, it was an homage to Kurt. Because I, so they, they tell me, for, for quite a while, uh, one of the things that Kurt would do is that um, he would call up that song on whatever bit of technology that they had at the time on a Friday evening at about 4 or 4.30, um, and he would dial up the intercom that went all over the building and he would play that song. And so if you can imagine, people are trying to finish up their work day. There are people that are actually recording radio programs. There are people that are doing work. There are people that are trying to hit, you know, uh, 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 certain marks for getting things edited and turned in and turned around. And you would have Ron DeVincent or the Chuck Wagon Gang or whatever group he decided to play, blaring this over the speakers. Now, everybody uh, that knew Kurt thought that this was hilarious, besides his father, who was the president of the organization and the leader of HR. <laughs> Debbie, you understand. Um, and this became a game where Kurt would go around to different parts of the building and he would actually hide in different offices that were not his own to play this song. And it became a game on most Friday afternoons of where is Kurt? Now, now, now it got to the place to where you would see Richard, so they tell me, storming through the building, asking where Kurt was. You would have the human resources guy running through, you know, threatening people uh, to threatening people to tell him where Kurt was playing this music from. But the reality is, is that Mrs. DeHaan wouldn't allow Richard to fire her baby boy, and Kurt knew it. Years after his passing, people would play that song. They would play that song, and they would play it in memory and in honor of their friend. They, they played it partly to commemorate his antics. They, they played it partly because, well, in those days they could live vicariously through him. But mostly, they played it because Kurt demonstrated with his life the point of the song. He loved well. And his love for God was shown through his love for them. Today, today we're going to do a little bit of reverse engineering as we approach Deuteronomy chapter 5. And we're going to, to do this by starting at the end and then working our way back towards the passage that chronicles the last several commands of the Ten Commandments. Because the reality is, is my friends, is that when it all comes down to it, neighbor love is what fulfills the law. 
Neighbor love is what fulfills the law. If you want to know what it means to follow Jesus, if you want to know what it means to anticipate the arrival of the risen Christ, if you want to know what it means to be a person who walks the way of discipleship, well, it really comes down to this. If you don't love your neighbor, then you don't love God. James, the Lord's brother, writes in James chapter 2 that if you really kept the royal law of the scriptures, he boils it down to this. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you do this, then you're doing right. If you're the kind of person that's a rule keeper. I know this may sound really strange to me, strange to you, but in a lot of ways, I'm a rule keeper. I've got this little emo kid on the inside of me that likes to shake his fist at authority, but when it really comes down to it, I want to know what's right and what's wrong and what the expectations are because I know that life goes a lot smoother when you color inside the lines. And this is what James says. You want to know what fulfills the law? You want to know what pleases God? Well, you love your neighbor as yourself. Well, sure, you might say, Dennis, that's great for James, but James is the guy that talks all the time about what you do and how you behave. What does the theologian of the New Testament say? The Apostle Paul, I'm glad that you asked. Twice in, in his letters, and, 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 and numerous times spread throughout his letters, but twice specifically, once in Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul writing to the church of Galatia says, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. This one command, the Apostle Paul says, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out. You will be destroyed by each other. Essentially, the Apostle Paul is saying something here that I think is very, very important for us to understand. Um, and, and, and it was kind of paraphrased in the, the great theological film of my childhood, The Karate Kid. <laughs> We're after... Daniel has, right, he's, 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 he's uh, uh, gotten in the, the, the uh, uh, he's, he's gotten on the wrong side of, of Johnny Lawrence and, and all the other Cobra Kai guys, and he's running through with a shower curtain, it's his costume, and he says, what's going on? He says, it's coming around, right, this idea of what goes around comes around? Mm. The Apostle Paul is essentially saying this, why, why, love your neighbor. All the commands could be summed up in this, why, love your neighbor. In Romans, he, he says it again. He says, let, let, no doubt remain out, let no doubt remain outstanding except the continuing debt of to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. And he goes on and says, the commands, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And, and, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. It comes down to this, friends. Neighbor love fulfills the law. Neighbor love demonstrates God's feelings about the world. Why is this so important to love our neighbors? Because when we do love our neighbor, what we do is we do what we see Christ doing. Is we communicate to the world the very things that God has said, this is my heart and my inclination for the world. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus silences the Pharisees and the Sadducees And after being silenced, they asked him a, a question to try to trap him. What is the greatest command in the law? They said, and Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest command. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Do you see 
what the Apostle Paul and James, the Lord's brother, have done is that is they've narrowed down and they've focused the exact words that Jesus has spoken here, love God and love your neighbor. And what the apostles have told us is that you can't say that you love God unless you love your neighbor. This is how this works. In Mark chapter 12, there's another incident that's chronicled. And, and, and in this uh, incident that the, the tables are turned and, and one of the teachers of the law came and he, he heard them debating and noticed that Jesus had given them a good answer and, and, and he asked him of all the commands which one is the most important the most important one answered Jesus is this hear O Israel the Lord our God is one love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind with all your strength and the second is like it love your neighbor as yourself. There is no command greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You're right in saying that God is one, that there is no, no other but him. To love him with your heart, with your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than any burnt offering and sacrifice. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Dennis, how do I know that I'm heading in the right direction? How do I know that I'm on the right path? What's interesting here is that Jesus didn't say, hey, it's because you have the right theology or it's because you have the right birthright or it's because you go to the right synagogue or it's because you, you do all of these extraneous religious things. No, what Jesus looks at this man and says, ah, you get it. You get this idea that, right, your, your love for God is demonstrated through your love for your neighbor. You, my friend, are not far from the kingdom. You're headed in the right direction. Keep coming in the direction that you're coming. Why? Because that is headed in the direction and the way of Jesus. Luke chapter 10, we see a similar um, interaction, and this time it's turned around. Jesus turns the, the question around um, on someone and he asked him and again the Pharisee answers correctly love God love your neighbor and Jesus says you have answered correctly do this and you will live neighbor love demonstrates God's feelings my friends about the world when we love our neighbors we show them this is what God thinks of you well, how do we do this, someone might ask. It was interesting. I was a young pastor. I was sitting in my office, and, and um, I had a couple come into my, my office one time, and, 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 and they were agitated, and they were agitated about something that I just wasn't prepared to confer. You ever been there, right? Somebody comes in, and you're like, this is really interesting, and I don't know why that you're, you're agitated about this, but, but the thing that agitated them was I, I kept preaching about love. I kept preaching about love, and they, and they literally looked at me and said, you keep telling us to love, but we don't know how to do that. Wow. Folks, the reality is, is we live in a world where there are some people that, right, they, they haven't received that love. They haven't been, it hasn't been demonstrated to them they, that they may need to learn how to love. So how do, we, how do we even do this, right? How do we know what love is? John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, a teacher of teachers, a, a leader of the Pharisees, a man who has large chunks of the scriptures memorized. 
one who is a member of the Sanhedrin and part of the 70 most powerful men in all of Israel. And Jesus looks at him when it becomes clear that Nicodemus doesn't know what it means to be born from above. And he tells them, he tells him the very words that Joel prayed over us last week. For God so loved the world. What's interesting is that this, this idea of God so loved the world, it, it doesn't mean like it's not talking about how much God loved. It, it's talking about the way in which Jesus essentially said this to Nicodemus, for God loved the world in this way. That he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal or everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. And whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because you have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict, Jesus says, to the judge, to the teacher of teachers. Light has come into the world but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. God loved the world in this way. How do we know what love is? Well, we look at Jesus. We look at who Jesus was, but we also look at who or what Jesus has done. Jesus says in John chapter 15, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love, and if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Okay, Jesus, tell us, what, what, what's, what's the command? What do we have to do? What boxes do we have to check off? Verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Wait, What? Well, what about the 10? Ah, they all hang on this. Well, what about the rest of Torah? It's about this from the very beginning. Jesus goes on in verse 13 and says, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends, to stand at harm's way. Amy and I were watching a silly little movie last night and had two of our favorite um, just high-brow thespians, Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> it's a takeoff on Dixon's A Christmas Carol and, and the end, spoiler alert, um, and the end, Ryan Reynolds' character finds redemption even though he denies that he has been changed by his encounter with the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future, he finds redemption when he pushes someone out of the path of an oncoming bus. And inches before the bus splatters this self centered social media mogul all over the street the frame freezes and the chorus and the hosts come and they announce that he's been changed and he says no I haven't I haven't been changed and they say but look what you've done you were willing to lay down your life for your friend ah, there it is folks stories can't escape the gospel 
And then Jesus goes on and says, you are my friends if you do what I command. Verse 17, he ends, it says, this is my command, love each other. Matthew chapter 25. Jesus, again, is explaining how do we know what love is. Love isn't just what we say with our mouths, it's what we do with our hands and our feet. Matthew 25 verses 31 through 46 is one of the most troubling passages in all of scripture. For it talks about the sheep and the goats. And the most troubling part of this is that the sheep don't know why they're sheep. And the goats don't know why they're goats. But this is what Jesus tells them. The king will reply, truly I tell you, whenever you did one of, did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So it's good to give a sandwich to a hungry person. It's good to give water to a thirsty person. It is good to visit a lonely person. But it is gospel work to do those things in Jesus' name. How do we know what love is? Well, and how do we know who our neighbors are? Back to Luke chapter 10, Jesus asked that teacher of the law what was the greatest command, and he answered correctly, and Jesus simply responded, well, do this and you will live. And the text tells us, but he wanted to justify himself. Oh. So this week I started thinking about and I started trying to count the times that I try to justify myself in a day. I gave up in like 10 minutes. The man wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And what did Jesus do? He told him a story. He told him a story of a, of a man, a, a, a good Jewish boy, who had been waylaid by bandits and robbed and left for dead. And then he told him about a person, well, a person like Dan, a person who led the congregation in worship, a person who was a leader, a, a pastoral presence, who, who walked past this man and because he had things to do, because he was busy that morning at church, because he didn't want to defile himself, he crossed on the other side of the road and left him lay. And then Jesus told him, continued that story, and he told him about a person like me who came upon that man, but, but who had things to accomplish, who, who didn't want to, to belittle himself or put himself outside of the believing community, who, who cared more about his reputation than he did about his character, who didn't want to be seen, this is again back to my growing up, right, who, who never would have been seen in the beer joint or shopping somewhere that served alcohol or Cohorting or, or canoodling with those kinds of people. No, he, he separated himself and he walked on past. But there was this guy that was from the wrong side of the tracks. He was the wrong religion and he was the wrong ethnicity. And he was from the wrong part of town. And this person stopped and he cared for this person. And this Samaritan became 
key role of the story. And what Jesus was saying was very clear is that the person who treated this person like a neighbor wasn't one of the religious leaders. It was somebody that you consider to be outside of the community. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus again presses in and says, you have heard it said that you should love your neighbor. So we're talking about and hate your enemy. That's what I'm talking about. But I tell you, Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The way of neighbor love, my friends, is not for the faint of heart. John chapter 13. Jesus again reiterates the new command. Love one another as I have loved you. You must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The greatest apologetic, the greatest witnessing tool, my friends, that we have is to love people so well and so thoroughly that at the end of the day, they can't help but ask us, why are you treating me this way? You see, it's not about perfection. It's about progress. It's not about eradication. It's about faithfulness. It's not about legalism. It's about grace. And might I suggest that it's been that way from the very, very beginning. Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18 tells us this. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 1 through 12. Come right on the heels of the Ten Commandments and in them this is where Moses says to the people, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments, what commandments? The ones that we've been talking about over the last several weeks. The Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, the Law of God that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road when you lie down and when you get up and tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads write them on the door frames of your house not the gods of Egypt but the instructions of your God and on your gates remember remember to love God with all your heart with all your soul with all your strength and we come to the end of our reverse engineering today. And we read these words in Deuteronomy chapter 5. That have led James to say what he said. That have led Paul to instruct the church as he's instructed them. That, that have led the writers of the gospels to, to write down with, with, with great uh, voluminousness the, the instructions of Jesus to love their neighbor that, 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 that are built out into the commands in Leviticus to love your neighbor that are, that, that are said plainly in the next chapter of Deuteronomy that demonstrate our love for God. Deuteronomy chapter 5. 
16 through 21 says this, Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live long and that you, it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not see uh, your desire on your neighbor's house or land, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. What is the point? What's the point of, of all of these things? What's, what's the point, my friends, is that we, we talk a lot about neighbor love. And I know that this, this is going to, to sound really strange to some of us. But the reality is, is that before the Israelites went in to conquer Canaan, this was the high watermark of God's love for them and God's message to them. The question that we as believers need to ask ourselves as we're approaching um, and, and, and advancing toward the appearing and the coming of the Christ child is not what are we willing to kill for, but what are we willing to die for? You see, that's the message that Jesus communicates. That's his love at work. And it's been that way from the very beginning. So often we look and we, we see the high water mark of the scriptures in places where it is not meant to be drawn. Here in Deuteronomy chapter 5, as the worship team comes to sing our closing song, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, what we see here is that the last six commandments that God gives to the people all reverberate in the words of Jesus and the apostles to love your neighbor. You see, if you love your neighbor, you will honor your father and your mother. This is clearly connected to the Abrahamic covenant that we talked about in Genesis chapter 15 and chapter 12 last week. If you love your neighbor, you're probably not going to wantonly kill them for no reason. You're going to abstain from murder. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to treat them as a piece of meat to satisfy your desires either with your body or in your mind. You will not do that. You won't steal from them. You won't lie about them so that you can get something for yourself. And you won't desire something from your neighbor that God hasn't chosen not to give you. It's been this way from the beginning. God's the one who comes running, my friends. Adam and Eve sinned and there was great separation, but God came looking. Cain killed Abel out in the field and God came to Cain. And he came to Noah and Abram. He came to Isaac and he came to Jacob and he came to Joseph and he came to me 
You see, we look at these lists sometimes and we think, okay, this, these are the things that I need to do in order to, to please God. And I, and, I, and I think that we, we look at them as, as things to do in order to get a result that we need to get. But the reality is, is that they're simply outgrowths of doing the very thing that we ought to be doing. If we love our neighbors, we won't kill them with our hands or with our words. We won't take from them gifts that God has given them that he's not chosen to give us. It's been this way from the beginning. That's why Jesus said, it, 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 listen, it's not about doing all this stuff. It's about if you, you, you want to know what is the right stuff to do. Well, you love God by loving your neighbor. Well, Dennis, how do I do that? Well, you can start maybe by smiling at him. Maybe not being a jerk. I don't think that any of you are being jerks. I'm just saying sometimes it's easy to be jerky. Right? It's, it's doing it that small kindness to those that God brings into your path. Something as simple as giving a smile or taking a casserole to someone who has experienced loss or mowing a lawn of somebody who has gone through a surgery or taking somebody out for coffee who maybe just needs a listening ear. It's been that way from the very, very beginning, folks. It's not about having all the right answers and it's not about having all of your theology fixed and it's not about being able to answer all the questions that people have. It's about loving them well. So that when they find themselves in a point of need then that there's one person in their life that is reflecting Jesus. got a text this week from somebody that I don't know which is always scary right text pops up and you're like I don't know this number I don't know this person and uh, it's a young lady who she and her fiance want to get married and and she said hey I'm wondering if you could do this oh by the way I'm Natalie's sister I don't know this young woman I don't know who she is. I don't know anything about the, the situation, but, but we're meeting and we're going to talk and we're going to see if I can, I can help in this instance that it has nothing to do with us or my relationship with her. It has everything to do with the fact that Amy and I for the last 10 years have just loved this woman's younger sister like she's one of our own. And the opportunity is to press in. My friends, we all want to love God. But you can't love God unless you love your neighbor. So Father, we thank you now for this morning. We thank you for your, your love that was demonstrated in send, sending Christ, your son. And we pray that you would continue to 
guard our hearts and our steps that you would continue to make us into the men and women that you want us to be that we would see those that are around us with new and fresh eyes in Jesus name we pray
uh, today. One of the things I want to want to say before I read the the closing passage is that um, I think sometimes we hear messages like this and we we get it in our mind that okay now I've got an assignment, right? Okay, I gotta love harder. I gotta do more stuff. That's not the point, friends. The point isn't to pile on and to chastise and to say, you need to love people better. The point isn't to tie more weights on our backs. It's to take some off and say, as God brings people into your path, love the people that he brings across your face. Love the people that God brings into your presence. Because here's the thing. Jesus was God and he still, he healed people that came to him. It looks like he healed about everybody that came to him. But Jesus didn't eradicate sickness and illness. In the entire world, he, he did what he could. He ministered to the people that came right in front of him. The, the woman who came and anointed Jesus' feet, one of, the, one of the most precious lines in all of Scripture is that when she was being confronted and chastised, the the scripture says she did what she could. (sighs) So go, friends, with freedom, knowing that we are no longer called slaves because the master does not confide in his slaves. Now you are my friend, since I have told you everything the Father told me. You did not choose me. I chose you. And I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. Go in his peace filled with his love expressing it to the world around you. Amen.